Hello, and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello, everybody. We hope you're having a great week. Welcome to Enlightened Empaths. We're going to be sharing with you all some questions and stories that you guys have sent in. So we hope you enjoy these. As a reminder, if you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, you can always email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, or you can message us on our Facebook page where you can find us by searching Enlightened Empaths. Okay, I'll start. Does that sound good, Denise? Sounds great. Our first question says, I lost my husband to brain cancer several years ago. It happened pretty suddenly. And although we had time to say goodbye, it was a little unexpected. My husband and I used to watch this show on Sunday nights together about a medium who could talk to the other side. It was a show we enjoyed together and we never missed an episode. The first time I watched the show after my husband passed, I saw an Iowa Hawkeyes pillow on her bed in the show. My husband was from Iowa and was an avid Hawkeyes fan and never missed their football or basketball games. I may add that this medium show was nowhere near Iowa. So why she had this pillow on her bed, I have no idea. It was so specific, especially being that it was the first time I watched the show alone without my husband. I took it as a sign that he was there with me. Thank you both for being the wonderful ladies that you are and reminding us all that spirit is close by if we just tune in to the messages. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, it really is. So he's still watching the show with her and gave <laughs> that sign as, as a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm still here with you. And what? got one of the prop people to put that pillow there that's the question exactly. but incredible and it it was so specific to their show what they love to do together you can't make it up it's beautiful you can you really can thank you for sending that in our next one says my cousin brent was 27 when he passed away from an overdose he battled for so long and hard it completely took over his life he was very depressed and I believe at that point he was exhausted and defeated. He was a truly beautiful person with such an amazing soul. He was a talented musician and just had a love for people and his family. He was starting to have doubts and was asking questions if God exists and if there's an afterlife because I believe he knew his time was growing short because every day was a huge gamble he took and he'd overdosed nine times and was brought back and he said he never saw a light and I think that scared him. One night he was watching the news in Florida and a report came on about a huge cross washing up on the shore. And he immediately called my uncle, who is a very religious man, and asked my uncle if that was a sign to him that God existed because he'd asked for a sign. My father told him it very well could be. And I believe that brought my cousin much peace. The day he passed, my family and I were standing on the back deck and the moon was so bright. Streaks were coming from it that was shaped perfectly as a cross. It was so beautiful, unlike anything I'd ever witnessed. And I knew it was him letting me know he was okay and finally free of his eternal pain. The next day, my little brother was driving to a place in Maine he had driven several times and happened to see a big yellow sign that said Brent Cross Bridge. He had driven this route so many times and had never seen this bridge sign. It's like it had appeared out of nowhere and my brother took a picture of it. We had a good cry and we all felt this overwhelming peace that my cousin Brent was letting us know he'd crossed the bridge to heaven and he was happy and safe and would be waiting to meet us there someday. I just wanted to share this story in case there are people struggling out there after a loved one passed because they haven't received a sign. My thoughts are to just keep looking. They could be the smallest things, but when it's time, you'll see the signs they've left for you. And it's incredible. And a beautiful, uh, heartfelt note. There's no judgment on the choices that her cousin made or his battle with addiction and, and you know, overdose and all of that stuff. And I think we, we all need to remember that sometimes that people are having struggles that we may not understand, we may not resonate with, but knowing that they're not stuck in limbo or purgatory or or doomed to, to walk the earth forever. My own personal belief system, that's not the spirit that I connect with that would do that to someone who was obviously 
such a kind and loving soul. Exactly. And we have had all these stories sent into us in so many of our spirit validation stories and our community connection shows where people have either chosen to take their life or had their life taken by accident from an overdose. And you never see that judgment. All you see is love and peace and joy. And you and I see that in our own personal readings as well. Yes. And I think that's really, really important. And the fact that he would have these near-death experiences where he saw nothing, I get it. That would that would freak me out too. Wouldn't it kind of scare you? It would. Yeah, it would make me go, what's going to happen? But, you know, that's not necessarily a, a near-death experience, you know, because he's he's dealing with his body being riddled with these drugs. And so you're not going to have as clear and concise of an image and a memory of what actually happened. But when he did finally cross over that bridge, he was able to come back and show them, I'm at peace. I love you. I'm watching over you. And all is, you know, all is well. That's, that's beautiful. Very much so. All right. Our next one, switching gears, a little bit more scary. I'm wondering how to protect myself from letting something in my home accidentally after what I feel was dreamwalking. I was just between awake and sleep when I saw what appeared to be an old haggard woman who had her back to me but was looking in the mirror. She spoke the words, who's there? Then I saw a small ball of light. I was so startled that I woke up. I could tell you in vivid detail the surroundings. Right after that, I felt very unprotected. That night, one of my dogs barked into nothingness, and the other dog had several dreams, and my husband had a major nightmare. I would love any insight on this and any reading material you may have on this subject. Okay, so that is what we call a typical hag syndrome experience, which has been documented in sleep research. It's been written about throughout time and history and cross cultures. It's incredibly common. It usually happens when we fall asleep on our back And many people will report seeing an old haggard woman sitting on their chest and the person will say they feel paralyzed or that they can't breathe. Now, scientists will tell you this is because you fell asleep on your back and there's something sciencey that I don't understand that can create these hallucinations or images, right? But a lot of legend and culture will tell you, oh, no, no, this is a legit spirit and her She is negative and she's here to take your energy because they kind of survive and thrive off of that fear energy from you feeling paralyzed. Now, we are all paralyzed in our sleep. It's called sleep paralysis. If we weren't paralyzed in our sleep, we would actually act out all of our dreams and knock over lamps and end tables and all sorts of stuff. So when you have that in-between stage of not fully awake, not fully asleep, you will feel paralyzed because your body is starting to release all the chemicals needed to put your body into lockdown for the sleep state. And so a lot of scientists say, oh, this Hag syndrome is just connected to that. But there are other people, and I've I've never had this experience, but I've had two friends who have, and I listen to them and it's incredibly real to them it sounds very real to this listener. And the fact that her dogs reacted, her husband had a nightmare, she felt very unprotected. I get it. That's, to me, that's a lot more going on than just sleep paralysis, right? But I invite her to look at this story in a very different light. And Denise, tell me if you feel this way too. She's in this in-between stage, right? She's not asleep. She's not awake. She sees the scary haggard woman. You've got the mirror. Come on, you throw a mirror into anything like a horror movie. And I'm, I'm all in with fear. Like that just adds to the scariness. But the old haggard woman says, who's there? Now, if you read, you can read books on Lewis Proud wrote a whole book on sleep paralysis. I think it's called dark intrusions that, that she can check out if she wants. There are so many old hag syndrome stories She never really talks. She never looks in a mirror and says, who's there? Now, note what happens after this listener heard the haggard woman say, who's there? She writes, I saw a ball of light. Okay. Oh. Do you see where I'm going here? Yes. Yes, I do. 
the old haggard woman is there to take her energy to feed off her fear. But this listener is very much protected because the old haggard woman's like, all right, here we go. She's rubbing her hands together. I'm going to get me some good fear tonight. This is going to be a quick little <laughs> fast food in and out. And then she looks in the mirror where, you know, we have all heard through many different spooky stories that things from different dimensions can enter and exit through mirrors, which is why I removed the big mirror over the bureau in my bedroom. But that's just me. Anyway, she, this old haggard woman in the mirror sees this thing and says, who's there? And then the listener sees the ball of light and the old haggard woman is gone. Now, sure, maybe, you know, like if someone is very, very negative and they yell at you and then they leave your home, you're not just like, oh, good. I'm glad they left. Don't you feel the energy of that argument and fight and their negativity? Like I always feel it in my stomach. Some people will feel it in their head. They'll get headaches. Negative people always leave a slimy residue of invisible energy. Well, I think these things, whatever they are, shadow people, hat man, old hags, they leave the same type of residue of negative energy. And I think that's why the dogs and her husband were impacted that way. But the ball of light, to me, shows that she is very much protected. And that ball of light, which I think were her angels, got that thing out of her home. It's a lot to think about. And I'm sitting here, I had a nightmare last week and it woke me up in the middle of the night. I couldn't get back to sleep. And I'm sorry, if there's an old hag sitting on my chest, I am not going to be, I'm not a fan of this. <laughs> I'm really not because I know the impact of just having a regular old run-of-the-mill nightmare. Dear God, I can't imagine waking up to something like that or having that experience. That's horrible. Well, it is. And, you know, I have said for years on this podcast and my other one, Psychic Teachers, that very often these things will come to us when we are making that decision to fully invest in our spiritual life. Right. And it's kind of like um, Uncle Screwtape from, you know, the C.S. Lewis book about how they try to pull you back so that you're questioning and doubting and you're not fully invested. And so I've always said, if you have a negative experience like this, yes, it's scary and it needs to be dealt with, but it's also just a, another aspect of a bully. And if you just keep on and dedicate yourself to your spiritual path, they will get bored and they will find new sources of food or energy to feed off of. So my friend had left her church for years and just was like, I don't know what I believe. If I believe, I you know just didn't think about it. And then she just found this church in town and just fell in love with it. And she started praying every night. She would say, the Lord is my shepherd and the Our Father. And she's going to church on Wednesdays and Sundays and had the minister over for dinner. I mean, she was all in. And she woke up one night with this old hag on her chest and freaked out. And she went to see her minister pastor the next day. He was not surprised at all. And he said, I hear this story all the time. And it's especially when, you know, a sheep has left the fold and returned to the flock. That is when they tend to come around. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Yeah. And he said, you keep saying your prayers, she will leave. And my friend never saw that thing again. Hmm. So I don't think it just happens to us metaphysical woo-woo people. It can happen at any time you decide, I'm going to live in the light, I am going to follow my spiritual nature, and I'm going to invest my time, thought, energy into all of this positive stuff. I think that's when they try to freak you out. I agree. I agree. And, and we've said this over and over and over again, the light is getting lighter, but also that means just because of the law of polarity, the dark is getting darker. Right. And you have to wonder if you're really truly stepping into your light and you're living your life from that place. Does that, and I'm not saying don't be light because you're going to have a hag on your chest. No, that's not what I'm <laughs> saying at all. <laughs> oh, anyway, that, that's a lot. But I do like that the minister or the pastor was so supportive and non judgmental and said, don't worry about it. Keep doing what you're doing. You're in the right place. That's a good church situation. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely church. She's still very happy there. And he was so casual about it because he said it happens. He's heard that story so many times. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Okay. Our next one 
After 13 years of being in an unhealthy codependent relationship, my mother finally realized she needed to move on. Naturally, my husband and I invited her into our home to stay while she got back on her feet. That was five months ago. We're the only family she has that is in five states away, so she had nowhere else to go. I've built more boundaries up around myself in the past five months than I've had in years due to the overwhelming energy that my mom brings into our home. My mother doesn't know how to set boundaries and she doesn't respect them. She has experienced so much in her life, beginning in her childhood, that I believe it's all hitting her at the same time. She's not processed or grieved any trauma in her life. Being the empath and intuitive that I am, this has been heavy for me to cope with on many levels. I have only walls to provide an escape from her energy and at times they feel invisible. Many situations in the past have caused me to distance myself from my mother. So we don't see eye to eye hardly at all. When she moved in, she would ambush me constantly by venting all of her feelings and emotions on me. For example, one Saturday morning, I made homemade waffles, kitchen windows open, jazz music flowing. My five-year-old was excited for breakfast. I sat down at the table with my orange juice and placed my plate in front of me. Golden waffles drizzled with honey, yum. My mom sat down and immediately established an unprompted therapy session. Tears rolling, stories of her childhood trauma spill out of her mouth like a waterfall. The next thing I know, I looked down and noticed that all my waffles were gone. My cup empty. Time had fast forwarded an unknown amount. I felt almost distorted. I couldn't remember eating my breakfast. I told myself never again. Don't allow her to do that to you ever again. You're not responsible for her feelings. Don't let her take your energy anymore. To some listeners, I may sound insensitive to her situation by saying that, but you have to understand that I've had to hold back the typhoons of my mother's mental and emotional states for my entire life. Those defense mechanisms are exaggerated now that they're under the same roof. After a while, she started noticing my boundaries. It was difficult for her and still is today. I'm no longer a vessel for her to fill and walk away from when she's done. She takes it very personally and doesn't understand why she isn't allowed to unload on me. Her words at one point, how do you think this would go after I moved? That I'd be happy and not talk about my feelings all the time? Did I mention she's a narcissist? I lovingly keep my distance from her no matter how moody and upset she might get with me. I keep things short and sweet. But the key word there is love. I love myself enough to know that a boundary needs to be set. When it comes to the point where I can enjoy my home, be able to be not only present, but mentally and emotionally available for my family, I begin to get upset with how much she doesn't see, how much we've given her. My husband and I are expecting our second child this year, and my mom is excited to be here to help. As grateful as I am for her assistance, all I feel is stress and dread about it all. It's a blessing and a curse, because to me, I don't see her as help but adding fuel to the fire. Every day goes by, I get home from work and feel my home is sick. The energy feels ill and draining. The air feels suffocating. My mother needs an emotional crutch 24 hours a day. I don't have the ability to give that to her. I tell myself all the time, if I need to speak with her about a moving out plan to get her own home, I can't keep feeling as though I'm responsible for her. The week before she moved into our home, she stopped by to talk to me. After she left, I felt as though a sudden stampede of frantic people were running through my house, up and down my stairs, through my living room, kitchen, basement, and every nook and cranny on every floor, just running, running, running. I felt uneasy. Today, I know that I should have taken that as a sign as to how powerful her energy would spread through my home, how much gravity her energy holds and still holds. Wow, that's a lot. That's a whole lot. And just to have your personal space, even if it's someone you love or someone that you've had history with, you add anyone to your personal space and it's going to change the dynamic. And I, I do have empathy and compassion for this mother having been in a codependent relationship. There are some very deep patterns, behaviors that become ingrained and almost seen as normal. But 
it seems like this goes back further for this, this person who wrote in. And right now, what I'm finding for myself and a lot of folks that I'm blessed to speak with is that if it's not real and true and genuine right now, there's no room for it. Boundaries that haven't, we may not have been able to set in the past are becoming incredibly important that we do. So kudos to this woman for setting the boundaries. Also, we've said this before, you can push the energy back and say, no, thank you, that's not mine. Can ask for, you know, you could put, <laughs> what I sometimes I'll visualize is like a translucent bounty, bounty house over someone so that their energy is contained in that bubble. It's not hurting them, it's theirs to own. But I think the other concern that I'm feeling personally is for that little five-year-old who is going to be so open and be sucking that up as well. It's interesting. I have a lot of thoughts, but I'll make <laughs> you, because as you know, I resonate with the narcissistic mother. And my first thought is, hell no, like, no, this family is sacred. This family is sacred. She needs to focus on her family. She has a new baby coming into this family. She cannot have this. No, she can take care of her mother without her mother being in her home. And so it sounds as though this listener doesn't have any siblings. And I think that makes it incredibly difficult. My sisters and I talk about that all the time. What would we have done if we were only children and we had to deal with these parents? I, I, I think that would be so hard because we have each other to say, no, you don't have to do that. Or yeah, you probably should pitch in here. I really think she needs to give this mother 30, 60 day notice and and that's it. And, and tell her, I've got a new baby coming into this home. I, I need this whole space. You know, I will always be here for you. I will always help you. But here's my boundary. And that's, you need to live in this apartment over here. I just think that's really important. She's got her family. And I think when you're dealing with a narcissistic person, what you have to realize is that they are cracked vases, meaning you can pour all the water that exists in the world into them, and it will never be enough. Whatever you do for her, it's not going to be enough. And you do not want to exhaust your much needed energy that you need to take care of your family on your mother. And, and I know that sounds terrible and cruel and cold, but for anyone who hasn't dealt with a narcissistic mother, you don't really understand how hard it is to try and take care of them. It's never enough. It is never enough. And this woman has a wonderful husband. I mean, can you imagine putting up with all that? True. You know, I think that's a lot. And I think she needs to lean on her husband and the two of them need to make a plan. And if they have to find her an apartment, then find her an apartment. But I, I think you need to know not allow this in your house anymore. You can still, my mother lives 10 minutes down the road from me. That is close enough. You know, I can pop by and visit her every day if I have to, I can bring her food. My sisters and I pay her bills, we do her taxes, we do her grocery shopping, we do everything for her, but she is not moving in my house. And, and I just mm -hmm. think that that needs to be the boundary that, that you draw now. Having one child is very hard, Having two babies is even harder and you're going to need all that time and energy. Something that's, that also stood out to me, Denise, is the number of fives, right? She's mm -hmm. got a five-year-old. Um, her mother's been there for five months and the nearest relative is five states away. The number five is a, is a number of uh, chaos, drama. It's also the number of freedom and change. And I really think the universe is speaking to her saying, you need to find your, your freedom within this. A lot of times, if you do have to set those boundaries with, especially I think a parent and you say, no, this isn't acceptable. There's judgment with that. People say, but it's your mother and you, you, know, you need to do this, you need to do that. You're gonna regret this later on. You are the only person that can own what's happening in your life. And it's your choice, but there is a lot of, of baggage when it becomes, I mean, you can validate that a hundred percent of, of how different it is with, when it's your own person. And I think the, what popped into my head, the logical side of my, my brain lit up with, well, the housing market, finding rentals, it's so ridiculous. The cost, 
maybe that's been part of this, or maybe it's become very comfortable for that woman to be there and she doesn't want to go. Like her mom doesn't want to leave and be on her own again. Of course she doesn't. All narcissists want to be taken <laughs> care of. But you have to think about the impact this is going to have on her children. I have done a very good job of keeping my children pretty separate from my mom because whenever she is around them, she doesn't say nice things. And I don't want, you know, like we were talking before we hit record, those seeds, you know how we were talking about how negative people, they plant those little seeds and they blossom and grow. And so I, I just think... I'm not a therapist. I'm not in anything. All I know is from my own experience dealing with a narcissistic mother, I always had to peel away all the nonsense of cultural judgment and societal bias. It's your mother. It's the whatever commandment. It's it's the top 10. You got to honor them. You know, you have to strip all of that away and, and say, what is the most important thing to me? And at the end of the day, The only thing that matters to me is my family, the family I created, and I will do anything to protect them. And and I think this listener needs to look at it in a similar way. You can still protect your mom and honor your mom and take care of her without her being in your home. Until they can move her out or find a new residence. I think that the last part of her note is really important about when she first came over to talk to her. She felt that running, that energy filling her house. It's almost like when her mother came in, she was establishing her territory. This is mine now. So one thing this person may want to try is sending that energy back, like really go through your house and focus on putting that energy back into whatever confined space your mother, if she has a a guest room or a bedroom or something where most of that energy can be held and start start staking claim on your own home again. Yeah, I agree. I I would put little cups of salt in all four corners of her bedroom. I would put black tourmaline around. I would get a crystal singing bowl and ring it every day. I would smudge that house every day. I'm sorry. I just feel like, I don't know. You can set boundaries with a narcissist and it can work, but they're always going to knock those boundaries down. So it, it's like it's like a, a Jenga tower. You have to reset it every single day. And it's exhausting. Do you remember having a new baby? How much time mm-hmm. and energy you need? You're up every two hours nursing. And then she's got to listen to the chaos of, of her mom's childhood. Right. I think it's, it's unfair. I agree. I, when we're sending our best that this works out. And, and I hope the new little person comes onto the planet with ease and grace. Yes, beautifully said. And you can tell from the way she wrote this email that she's got it all going together in her. Yeah, she's fine. She's treating her mother with love. She's clearly 100% there for her family. She's going to figure this out. I just want to be that annoying friend who says, no, girlfriend, you got you to gotta make a, an exit plan for, for your mom. Right. Because I, I don't know that she has anyone. It sounds like everyone around her except her mom is so kind. And, and maybe her mother is kind at times. She did call her a blessing and a curse. So I don't mean to, I don't mean to shadow my prejudgmental views considering my relationship with my mom onto this poor listener. I apologize if I'm overly dramatic. I think oh, I'm God. just getting triggered thinking about my mother moving in with me. <laughs> maybe she this is a good time to, to move to the next story. I think so. <laughs> think so. All right. I am working on becoming a conscious empath. I hope this doesn't sound too woo-woo, but I believe you came to me in a meditation as a white rabbit, and I felt the need to reach out. Ever since I was a child, I would know things about people that others have not picked up on. For instance, I used to work in the children's ministry at church, and I always had an uneasy feeling around one of the male teachers. Not too long after he took over the bus route, the pastor had to ask him to step down because multiple kids came to the pastor telling him that this man was very mean and harsh. I often hear spirit in my mind, and I was raised very religiously as a Baptist, so I equate the voice to God speaking to me. However, I believe there's more to it than that. I recently joined a Lutheran church and feel a lot more comfortable there. Since listening to your podcast, I've accepted this gift and have allowed myself to open up to it. I now understand why I have all these problems with anxiety, depression, always feeling overwhelmed, and can never keep friends. 
I did get a few crystals per your recommendation, and I'm currently listening to Judith Orloff's book, Positive Energy. However, I'm in need of a spiritual guide or teacher or someone to set me on the path to be more intuitive and open. What would you recommend my next step is? If you could explain it like I'm four years old, that would be great. <laughs> okay. So I think you and I get an email like this about once a week. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say where people are asking, like, I think I'm intuitive. I know I'm empathic. What now? Yes, very much so. And I know I've been there. I, I'm sure you were there early on in your development too, Denise, where you're just like, okay, I think I get that this is what spirit is calling me to do, but what now? I don't think that there is one teacher or one mentor out there for everyone. You know, this when we're on this hero's journey and we're at that stage of our journey where the mentor comes to us, I don't think it's one person. I think it's many people. And I think what you need to do is, is tell spirit, God, your guides, your creator, God is however you term that, tell them, okay, the student is ready. I'm, I'm ready now for the teacher to appear or teachers and be open because the teacher, the mentor that you're seeking might come in the form of a book, might come in the form of a crystal. It might be a class you take. It might be a group you join. It might be a teacher. It might be five teachers that you meet. And so I think when we put ourselves on the seeker's path, it's kind of similar to when people, um, you know, are asking us about love. It's not that there's one person for you. There could be, you know, a couple for you here and there down your journey. It's the same when you're on this path. You're going to have several teachers and you're always going to have teachers. You know, it's not like you're going to have one mentor and you're going to learn everything. This isn't, you know, Buddha at the, at the gas pump, right? Like you're going to have one teacher that's going to help you. You're going to have another teacher who may appear not to help you, but upon reflection, 2020 hindsight, you're going to see that that not so great teacher actually did help you because it helps show you what you actually know to be true. And so you're, I think you have teachers appear to you in many different ways. Don't, do you know what I'm trying to say? I, I do. And I agree with you a hundred percent. And I also would like to add, if it doesn't feel right and true, or you're in a situation with someone who is saying that they're very adept at a certain practice or have a certain base of knowledge and something in you doesn't feel like it really rings true, please, please, please pay attention to that. And I'm not saying this as a, it sounds very negative, but there are a lot of hacks out there. There are a lot of frauds who will use what appears to be their base of knowledge and expertise to not be truthful with what they're sharing. So please, please, please go uh, follow what feels right in your heart when you are exploring these new things. And that's for all of us, whether you're beginning this path, you've been doing it for years, or you're trying to, if you're looking for someone new to, to study with or work with. Yeah. And what you need to do is just put yourself in that world. So go to spirituality conferences, sign up for classes on intuition or healing modalities, you know, put yourself there so that the teachers can present themselves to you. And, and Denise is absolutely right. If someone, you know, you sign up for a class and you're not resonating with what the person is saying, walk away, right. you know, chalk it up as, as another lesson. We had, a, my friends and I went to a, a teacher and we did not really resonate with that teacher. And, and that led us to create our seekers group. We wouldn't have created right. that group if that had been a great teacher. And that seekers group was the best teacher for me because we all taught each other. Mm -hmm. None of that would have happened if I didn't put myself in that path by showing up. Right. And I just think that's very important because a lot of people may use this to their, their advantage and not be realizing the impact it can have on other folks. But I love, love, love that, you know, this is, she said, explain it like I'm a four-year-old. <laughs> because that's spot on. It is. Be simplistic. It, it's not a big over-the-top thing. It really is that simple. It is that direct of find what resonates with you, follow that. If you go into a metaphysical store in where you are in the world, it, they're open again, and you walk over and you're drawn to a specific stone and you pick it up and like, oh, I don't know what this is, but it feels really right for me. Honor that. Or if you 
go to your local library and you go to the section that has these types of books and you say, oh, I don't know why, but I really am drawn to this one. That's a great way to practice with your intuition as well and see what will appear. Yeah. And I, and I think the answer is going to be different for everyone. I, I have a book in my, in my bookshelf I'm looking at called How I Got Published. And it's just 40 different authors telling their story of how they got published. And they are 40 different stories. And so we think if you ask an actor, an artist, a, a CEO, anyone, how did you get here? They're all going to have different answers. So to say like, you know, how do I find a mentor? How do I develop this intuition? That answer is going to be unique to you. But I do think if you put yourself out there, if you tell your guides you're ready for teachers to appear, then it's all going to coalesce and work for you. And you're going to find your unique expression for your spiritual abilities. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Our next one, there are certain behaviors and patterns in my life I feel may be connected to past lives. I've never thought much about this until I heard one of your past episodes on past life regressions. And I started to connect the dots. I feel traumatized by experience I've not had in this lifetime, but they're very real to me and sometimes crippling. I feel I have a very traumatic past that I can't explain. There are also certain fears I have that are irrational for this current lifetime. I recently did my Reiki level one and two training, and it was an amazing experience. Long story short, I was very impressed by my teacher's ability to so quickly connect with the students on an individual level to help them improve. She did tell me that she thought it may have some past life experience impacting me today. It seemed like a validation I've been looking for, as simple as it sounds. I felt whole body chills when she said that, which is my sign of confirmation from spirit. She said she would love to talk with me more, but in private. I did some research into scheduling with her as I would like to be respectful of her time and didn't want to try and trap her on a break. However, her first opening was well over a year away. I did see someone else for a Reiki session separately and was again told they felt there were past life related issues impacting me today, specifically in my root and sacral chakras. I decided I wanted to try to access some of these memories. I found a great book at the local library about past life regressions and at the end of the book, there's a CD with a guided meditation. I read the book and was excited to try to do the meditation. I grounded myself, cleansed my space, asked for protection and guidance from my spirit team and started my intention. Anyway, I did the meditation several times only to fall asleep. On my third and fourth attempt, I was able to get through the majority of it. When I entered the scene from my past life, I found myself at an outdoor market somewhere in Europe in the late 1800s, or early 1900s. Not much happened. I only observed myself moving around a market until I drifted off to sleep again. I woke up about an hour later and heard a male voice quietly saying one word over and over. It was not in English and I thought I was dreaming. As soon as I had that thought, the voice said again loudly and clearly. I sat up and before I could find a pen and paper, I'd already forgotten the word. I think it may have been a name. This didn't feel like a familiar energy around me. It didn't feel either negative or positive. This felt very significant, but I have no idea what to make of it. And I'm unsure if I should continue trying to access these memories. I'm wondering if it's a good idea to try and explore past lives on your own with no real training or experience. Is this something that might be best to wait to work on until I can work with someone who has the proper training? I would really appreciate any feedback or insight you have. Thank you. My personal opinion is I think it strongly depends on the individual. I've done self-directed past life regressions. I've done shamanic regressions. I've done regressions based on soul focused. So I think it truly, truly depends on, on yourself, where you are, your confidence. Some people do better if they work by themselves rather than working with someone else. Those are all things. This kind of piggybacks on what I said a few minutes ago, please, if you're going to someone else that they have something that they're basing their work on, that isn't just, oh, I just know you, that you had a past life in Egypt because I, it's a vulnerable place. It's a very vulnerable place to open yourself to be in that state. So are you going to go through the experience with someone and have your own specific 
like the, the, the regressionist is working as a guide or are you wanting someone to tell you what actually happened to you? So I think that's another really good question to ask. If you're wanting to have the experience yourself where someone is helping you get to that place to meet these, the, this experience, then I would say, yes, go to someone who has specific training. I think that if whatever you choose to do, go with an open mind. I think sometimes people say, oh, I've always been really drawn to the old West. I had to have had a lifetime in the old West. And then they do a regression and they end up somewhere else, but they were so sure that they would go to the, the West that it takes away from what they might actually experience uh, being a little more open-minded. Well said, I completely agree. All right, our next one is a quick question. Samantha, I was wondering if you could explain how you bless your yarn. Thanks in advance. And Denise, if you have any input, I'd love to hear it. Okay, so this listener must have heard me talk about how when I make my chakra bags, I always bless my yarn first. And so what I tend to do is, you know, you go to the store, you buy your yarn. And if any of you knit or crochet out there, you know, you have to take the little paper wrapping off and then you have to re-roll it into a ball of yarn so it doesn't get knotted as you're, as you're using the yarn. So what I do is I, I draw the Reiki symbols into my palms, I tap them in, and I hold the ball of yarn and I ask that it be blessed for the highest healing good of anyone who's going to work with the creations I make from that yarn. And then as I'm winding it up into a ball, I continue to send love, light, and healing into it. I will often say prayers as I'm rolling it up into the, the balls of yarn. Usually that's when I'll say the rosary, for example. Sometimes I will put the ball of yarn into my crystal bowl and I'll just sing the mallet around it to lift and raise its vibrations that way. Do you ever do that, Denise? Do you have any input? Well, sometimes if I'm holding something that, that I want to charge with energy, I'll picture, uh, I'll open up my crown chakra and see light and healing coming down through my crown chakra and out through my hands into the item. So I feel like it's a, like a divine connection to, to that. And I'll do that with stones or different things that, or sometimes I'll do that with my tarot cards if I'm really needing some powerful juju to work with someone. But yeah. I love, love, love that you're blessing it and saying prayers the whole time. So I, I think it's similar to, and I suppose to being grounded to be the conduit from earth energy and spiritual energy is important. Yeah, and, and, and that's a great tip is that you can do that with anything. You can do that with the food you're making. You can do that with the crystal you bring home. You can bring it with an item that that you brought home from you know an antique store really anything you can you can do that light imagery that denise was talking about yeah oh here's our next one do you know or have you experienced any connection between anxiety and panic attacks and not being grounded i didn't really make the connection into listening to your podcast this week and the way the guest described how it felt to not be grounded it's similar to how i feel often which i attributed to anxiety and occasionally more intense panic attacks. I feel just very light in my head, like I'm floating. When I focus on it and focus on grounding myself, it does help. I just never really made the connection between anxiety feelings and non-grounded feelings, especially as an empath and intuitive. Curious your thoughts or experiences. Thank you both for your show and all you do. Yes, and I experienced the same thing. I've only had two panic attacks in my entire life and I would wish that on no one. That is scary as hell. Anxiety, though, uh, I feel ungrounded, jittery, lightheaded, and, and I will do a grounding exercise and it helps. Also, big fan of, of deep breathing and recentering when anxiety hits. Yeah, I think it is all connected. And, you know, I can't speak for all anxiety, but a lot of anxiety comes from not addressing the present moment and how we're feeling right now, you know? And so a lot of times people will just push it down or, you know, pull a scarlet O'Hare, I'll think about that another day. And then they're wondering why they're anxious. When we focus on grounding ourselves, it forces us to be in the present moment. And I think when we are in that present moment consciousness and we are focusing on our breath and allowing any emotions or feelings, however scary or negative or fearful or, or anxious they may be to just exist in our body and in our mind for a moment, we're giving them the time and attention they need to heal and be released. And, and that helps a lot with calming anxiety. 
Don't you find that to be true? Yes, that's a great, great way to describe it. Okay, and our last one says, what are some good crystals I can carry or wear to stop me from feeling everyone's energy all the time? Oh, I'll try to answer this quickly, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> so in general, any black or brown stone is going to be really good at guarding and protecting you from picking up other people's energy. So that could be hematite, black agate, uh, chungite, black tourmaline, um, tiger's eye, brown obsidian, mahogany obsidian. There's a lot of different black or brown stones that are all going to have that grounded mama bear hugging you, nurturing, protective energy that's going to really put up that barrier. New might is another good one. It's got this sheeny surface to it that helps protect you. For empaths in particular, I love labradorite because labradorite is very protective. It, I, I, I don't know, I call it like a filter because it, it helps filter out the negative stuff but allows the positive energy to flow within you so you can still feel other people's energy. Because sometimes I need to feel other people's energy. Do you ever feel that way, Denise? Like I need to, I need to tune in and check out, okay, is this, is this a safe person? Is this a good person? Or is this friend having a good day or a not good day? Do I need to help here or help there? Do you do that? Yes, especially if you're working in anything as an intuitive, as a medium, as a, a reader, and you're, you're always in someone's auric field, you're going to have to have that exchange of energy. Exactly. And labradorite is a really good stone for that because it helps you to do that. Larvakite also works similarly where it protects you and still allows you to be open to the positive. And then also, I think any of the stones connected to guardian angels and spirit guides like angelite, celestite, selenite, uh, seraphonite, lots of ites um, are really good. <laughs> at protecting your energy while still inviting the positive flow in. It's a good idea as well. If you're going to wear the crystal a lot, make sure that you do give it some breaks, you know, some time off from helping in your energy a lot. So you can take your ring or necklace or bracelet off in, at night and you can put it on a cluster quartz that helps to cleanse it of its energy you can use sound, give it a little sound bath with your singing bowl, or you can um, just smudge it if you need to, or use your own breath. But do, do make sure if you're wearing a crystal every day to give it a little break every now and then, because they're hardworking little stones and, and they're doing a lot to absorb extra excess for us and with us. That's a lot of information, and it, but it's wonderful. I love when you talk about the crystals because you get so into it. It's just like, this is my world, <laughs> damn it, and I'm living in it. <laughs> I'm trying not to go on. I, I do want to say one more thing, though. If you wear crystals on the left side of your body, like if you put a ring on your left hand or a bracelet on your left wrist, that does help you uh, receive more energy. If you wear bracelets or rings on your right arm or hand, that helps you uh, emit that energy. So it's important to think about where on your body you're putting this as well. So if you have a crystal for protection, like Numite or Shungite, I would recommend that you wear it on your right wrist when you want to emit a powerful energy of no, back off. But if you wear it on your left wrist, it's going to have a more subtler energy of just like, hey, I'm here, but I'm not taking any of the negative stuff. Beautiful. All right, I'll stop. No, it's great. I, I think that you, you just helped a whole lot of people. So that's perfect. Okay. And we have one last one and it says, I did a card reading for myself recently and received several reverse cards. The world reversed, the wheel of fortune reversed and the king of pentacles reversed. At the moment I read it, I thought, oh no, changes I'm not looking forward to that will make me lose money. And then in meditation, I thought maybe the wheel of fortune reversed is about internal changes. Because when you turn a circle more and more, you go in, it's like a spiral. So maybe those cards are about unwanted changes that will make me want to grow and depend less on my husband. In short, have you ever revisited the spreads you read and what do you listen to? Okay, so yes, and I, I read Intuitive Tarot, so I am very much a fan of you read the card, you get the meeting, but that's more of a springboard into what spirit is trying to share with you. So it can be a beautiful tool for that. A lot of times reversed cards are blocked energy or 
what I've found over the years is it can be an indicator of somewhat uh, your own uh, anxiety can come up in reverse cards. So you may think, oh, I know that I have to do this, but I think the key, what, what triggered that for me was also, you know, will, will this help me grow and depend less on? So there's something buried down there as far as, and I think the cards are reflecting that because a lot of times the cards will go below the surface to our subconscious connection. I, I did for years and years, I, I tracked all my readings and that's a great way to learn to row as well is just jot down the cards you get and then you can start to see the progression. You can start to see meanings for each specific card that may not align with anything you're gonna read in a book or as someone else teaches you because the more and more you work with your deck, you're going to build your own personal relationship with it. And I love the remark about a spiral and going inward. I think that that's an excellent, excellent way to look at this. I think this is the beauty of Tarot is that we are meant to meditate on it and go back and reflect and reevaluate how we initially interpreted the cards. My friend Deb and I will do readings for ourselves throughout the year. And we, what we do is we'll take a screenshot of it and text it to each other. And it's always interesting because we'll interpret it differently or see it differently. Something else I did, I went on Etsy and I found a couple of little stores on there that sell tiny little tarot stickers. And so (laughs) I love it. I bought them and now I can, instead of taking a screenshot and then deleting it later because my storage is full, I can just put the little stickers in my journal and recreate the Celtic cross or the three card spread I did. I pull a card every morning and now I just put that sticker in my journal and reflect on that card. So I, I recommend doing that. Or if you're a good drawer, just, you know, draw it yourself. But there are little stickers that are great for reflecting on this. And it's a beautiful way to figure out what we're trying to say and what the cards are trying to show us. Yes. And I love your explanation of reverse cards, Denise. Oh, thank you. I agree a hundred percent. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. We are out of time, but we appreciate you all sending your questions and stories into us. Please remember, if you want to share a question, you can always email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com or message us on our Facebook page. And if you want to find out more about us, you can go to samanthafay.com or Denise's website is thegratefulmessenger.com. Please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.